Yep, that's a real guy whistling. His name is Lear Leary, and we've done literally hundreds of commercials and videos together. Me always a voice, Lear as a voice and or the producer in his recording studio. Now he's stepping out from behind the mic and into the spotlight. And well, let's just let him tell his story, okay? Hello? Lear? Lear, hello? Where the heck are you? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You, you don't have to see me. It's audio. Today on Stump the Tackies. <laughs> <laughs> Too many buttons. When Soundsmith was in Huntington, how big was that board? You mean the Amex? took at least four uh, large humans to move it. It was heavy. How many pots did it have, though? Because that always was like, I could learn that, or, you know, somebody else can do it. <laughs> now, do you know where the word pot comes from? Pot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes? What does that have to do with the board? No, uh, seriously. Well, seriously. Okay, wait. No, I don't. Okay, it's, it's short for potentiometer, which is... <gasps> Got nothing it. nothing more than a controlling uh, device, better known as a knob, a volume knob, a treble knob, a bass knob, where you assign a signal. So potted up means to really turn that knob up. But to answer your question, how many pots did it have? It had, oh goodness, over 30 channels, but on each channel there was maybe five EQ pots in there. There are buses and sub-buses and assigns and all sorts of great stuff. I mean, that, that thing was $83,000. That's why uh, oh my God. didn't buy a house until 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first time you ever remember being interested in the technical side of recording? Uh, maybe about uh, age 11 or 12 or so. Uh, my sisters bought me a, a, a small reel-to-reel recorder. I always had sound effects records. Is that what prompted them buying you the reel-to-reel? -reel? Yeah, because I, I would sit in my room and I would put on the sound effects record. And it was usually alphabetical. So I think uh, elephant went into fire, which went into giraffe. I don't know what sound a giraffe. It's the sound of it eating leaves off a tree, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so each time a sound effect would come on, I would just make up a character. Say, hello, this is Darling Hayden here in, in beautiful Zimbabwe. Although I don't think Zimbabwe was around that. Probably Belgian Congo. And I would have this fake thing going uh, while the elephant was on. Then all of a sudden, if an F-14 went by, that might have been, <laughs> that, I would be uh, Briggs Pontoon or General Stud Howard. I had a lot of imaginary friends. So it was also sort of like real early self-taught improv. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Yes. I think all kids are certainly taught how to improv and have a lot of fun and then through the years were beaten into submission and uh, don't say that, don't do that. Then they got to pay somebody to teach them how to do that again. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, you know, when you think about it, if you talk to people about what they do or how they got started in whatever they're doing, a lot of times it's because they did something similar and loved it when they were a kid. Yeah, yeah. And you true. think that, you know, back at, there was a point in, in everybody's lives when, you know, unless they had really strict parents where they could just kind of explore whatever they wanted. I wonder if the whole iPad app, blah, 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 TV, video games, like, is that robbing them of, of creating or does that fuel it? If I had had a recording device when I was like five, oh my God. Yeah. Right? I, I don't know. I can maybe could argue uh, either side. I know that my sons are, are big vidiots, but they love the voices and then uh, they're amazed by the music some of the scores for some of these video games like uh, 
Call of Duty and some of those more uh, military games, the instrumentation is off the charts. It's beautiful. It's a remarkable sound. And uh, you'll sometimes even see university orchestras and advanced high school orchestras performing some of the video game scores, which, which is great. So you got the, the reel-to-reel yeah. and you started playing around with that. Oh, and yeah. then how did you get into audio production? Well, one thing led to another. I, I joined a band, which everybody did back in the 60s. And uh, I became very proficient at uh, soldering. So it was all a related field, entertainment, speaking, and music. And then I tried to get a straight job, tried to become a teacher. There was a glut of teachers. I mean, one line in the New York Times, uh, uh, wanted English teacher, eighth grade, Shoreham, Wading River, New York, I mean, which is out in the boondocks, would elicit thousands of applicants, some of them with their PhDs for like an eighth grade position. So uh, I was also given a provisional certificate at the time, which I had five years to complete my master's, which uh, was kind of a catch-22. How could I afford university if I can't get a job? So I was substitute teaching. I had to do the hockey team or the student newspaper, the drama club and hall duty. That's, in fact, when I lost my first tooth, I mean, which is very rare for a hockey Wait a minute. I thought you lost your first tooth playing hockey. No, no, no. Goodness, no. (laughs) No, that's the crazy thing. In fact, it was a, a... a woman. Do you want to hear that story? Yes, I do. Okay. I do, Lear. <laughs> so I'm standing in the hallway and this kid comes flying down the hall and goes, Lear, there's a fight in the cafeteria and it's two girls and they're beating the crap out of each other. Oh my God. So uh, I, I certainly not being a sexist or painting a gender with a broad brush, but usually girl fights were slapping and hair pulling and, and lots of nails. I get down there and these two are squared off. Uh, John L. Sullivan, uh, bare-fisted they are just slugging each other and there's of course a ring of students around going fight fight fight, fight, oh, fight. so i uh said to the gym teacher i look over i go arnie you grab the one in red i'll grab the one in blue ready on three one two three so i grab the one in blue and i turn over and i look at him and he goes do we go on three or do we go on four <laughs> <laughs> and it's <laughs> <laughs> at that point i look and the one in red is in in mid-flight with the fist and it clocks me right underneath the nose a tooth just goes a piece of the tooth goes flying out onto the floor blood all over the place the kid runs over picks up the tooth hands it to me now the, the one the one that i'm holding is, is now weeping saying oh, i'm so sorry i'm so sorry we have to get to the nurse's office. <laughs> Let's go to nurse's office right this minute. <laughs> Immediately. So I finally got a pretty good job. Uh, and I said to the principal, listen, I, I'm going to go take a, a year off and complete my master's. And he said, don't worry, kid. The job will be here when you get back. We love you. You love it. The whole thing. While at university, I was moonlighting at a recording studio. And it wasn't like a heavy metal band or John Philip Sousa, a big music production studio. It was a production studio. My job was sweep the floor, get coffee, set up the mics, solder wires. And I'd be sitting there and I'd see narrators coming in. and I'd see jingles being made for companies, uh, original music for scores on small industrial films and things. I'm going holy mackerel, this is like the greatest job in the world. It's creative, it's clever, and you can make silly voices and everything I did in my room when I was 11 year old. So I said, maybe I can do this. And so I did. Wow. This is what I think was the turning point for you for going from, aside from the fact that the industry has changed so much, but going from primarily being an audio producer and a voiceover talent to 
looking at more on camera acting theatrical experiences, I think it's when you auditioned for Survivor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that was fun. I mean, I, I, I guess it was uh, Survivor 13. There were 45,000 applicants. It was called down, called down, called down. And uh, I, 108 of us uh, were flown out to Pittsburgh and we were screened. And I tell everybody I was number 49 <laughs> because 48 were sent out to California for the final pick. Wow. So uh, I was always in plays in high school. So it was, it was only a, a natural fit. But I went for a, a voice audition. So I walked in and the sound engineer goes, oh, my God, do you look like that all the time? <laughs> which, which, I said, that's a weird question for an engineer to ask a voiceover guy. Uh, I said, no, as a matter of fact, I want to take these glasses off. The big nose and mustache come with it. It's a party gag. <laughs> I got it at the party store. He goes, no, hold on. Let me get the director. The director comes out and goes, oh, my God, can he talk? Uh, and the uh, engineer says, he's here for the on-mic job. He's not here for the on-camera job. So she goes, well, what does it say? I said, well, my agent said, uh, American author in a flashback. So I figured, when I was a young man, and they'll put me in reverb, and I'll go home. So she goes, go, go in and read the uh, script on the music stand. So I, I, I read... Uh, be careful uh, not to live your life with health books. You may die of a misprint. That's a, that's a funny line. Uh, be proud of your wrinkles. It shows how many laughs you've had in life. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice line. She goes, okay, okay uh, you got the gig. We start filming in September. It was a Mark Twain documentary. Oh, my God. Uh, so it, it wasn't like Hal Holbrook. I wasn't going to be on screen for an hour uh, memorizing. It was uh, just off in the background. They had found uh, some letters uh, about Twain uh, that he there was there was a school of thought that he was a dirty philanderer, uh, spendthrift in his latter years. Uh, it turns out that he, he was b being abused by his assistant. Uh, she had forged a bunch of letters in this documentary. They have like an FBI handwriting analysis expert and say, oh, see, this uh, power of attorney letter here was forged. And I'm in the background in a white suit and they poofed up my hair and dyed it white and gave me a cigar. So, uh, you know, they said, hmm, maybe I should market this adorable face. And <laughs> so it was also just at the right time because uh, I, I think it was Al Gore. Somebody invented the Internet uh, and <laughs> our little business that we had with uh, going there with this big studio we had 3500 square feet at one time which is uh, astronomical for a, a small uh recording production studio especially in the boondocks of, of new york and all of a sudden the internet came along and people would come to us they they'd say uh, i i need a, a saxophone player or i need a car door slam or i need a yiddish grandmother uh, they'd say, oh, go see there. You can, he'll set you up. He'll find somebody for you. And that whole mom and pop sound shop mentality went out the window because all of a sudden now I need a Yiddish grandmother. They put that up on the web and you get 75 auditions. Right. Uh, and there's some a very talented uh, human up in Manitoba. Uh, sitting in her underwear who can do it for 50, 50 bucks. I mean, come on. <laughs> I hope she's at least in a moo moo, Lear. I don't want that in my head. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Uh, so one thing led to another and I got bit parts here and there and I, I did a, a bunch of background stuff, which is you know paying you dues. And so I got to meet an awful lot of nice people. And one thing led to another and uh, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I can drive a shift car. So I get five days on set uh, because of that or I look like this guy and the, 
he wants to leave and um, got my SAG card. And it's a, as simple as you're just keep doing it and you're in the right spot. And you're, you're reasonably polite and you're willing to take direction. And yeah. you show up sober and everything's fine. <laughs> you know what you said about you look like this guy. I think that worked against you in uh, Black Klansman, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that was also that was he, you know, Spike is. That was the first time I ever worked with him. He's just so organized and so just, he's like a machine. Did you have any kind of one-on-one or were you mostly like just witness in a, in a bigger scene that he would come in and tell everybody what to do? Oh, he, he would, he would talk to everyone uh, and make sure everybody was on the same page. He'd be often in the control room and he, there would be a speaker <laughs> in this. They built the Colorado Springs uh, police department right in a warehouse in Brooklyn. All of our scenes were filmed in there. And this was right after Adam Driver had completed Star Wars. So he was he was giving Spike a hard time. But like one scene, um, Stallworth, uh, Denzel Washington's son, John, w- walks into the room. Uh, and all of a sudden you hear the speaker go, uh, uh, Stallworth, wh- wh- where's your briefcase? Oh, oh gee, sorry, Spike. I, I-, I left it outside. I- I'll get it. And uh, so Adam Driver just leans back in his chair and goes, if this was Star Wars, we would have CG'd it right into his hand. <laughs> and you're, shut up, driver. Shut up, driver. <laughs> <laughs> But it was like wow. five days, five plus days on set and uh, five seconds on the screen. But that's how, that's what happens. So. Yeah. I yeah. also had an uncanny resemblance with that very handsome man, Topher Grace, who had a mustache in this movie. So that we, I said to him, I said, because he'd come out of makeup and he'd, have his mustache off and I went boy you're much better looking going in so (laughs) and so you said that because you looked so much like him they wound up reducing your on-screen time because they didn't want the audience to be confused right yeah well that's maybe wishful thinking on my part or just the cut of the whole uh you know you you figure you shoot hours and hours and hours and hours of film and and cuts have to be made so maybe you know uh that that, that was part of that whole there was a whole uh, because that's the scene where he unravels and he and he reveals to david dukes uh who he is yes uh so there was a lot of back and forth and it was fun it was a a fun scene with the sergeant uh so they just decided to cut it so who knows wow you know that's out of my hands Uh, but uh i loved it it was a great experience and uh it certainly led to led to more things, and uh, so yeah, and you know, you do you do a, a part uh, in a show, and somebody recognizes you there, and you get a you get a call from somebody else, and one other thing leads to another. Do you have a copy of the Black Klansman script? Did you get a script? Yeah, I, I do. As a matter of fact, it's a small it's a small one. Why do you think that's a collector's item? Or? I think it's just so cool. Oh. You know, <laughs> the script. No, just my scenes. I didn't get all. Oh, the, oh, they didn't give you the whole thing. No, no. Oh, well. So now you're doing singing lessons and you, <laughs> you just wrapped up improv lessons. That's correct. Where would you like to go next? Where would you like this to go? Uh, just uh, just work. Just keep working. Uh, I don't know who said uh, you got to try things that make you uncomfortable and yeah, yeah I, it was one thing singing "Wooly Bully" in the in the band for ten years. Uh, right, when you have other people to camouflage you if you blow it, right? Yeah, and you know, you're <laughs> got a bass guitar sitting in front of you, but when you're in a yeah. tuxedo and singing uh, a baritone solo, I mean, 
Wow. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. So, are you hoping to get more musicals? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because those those guys are so talented. I never really worked with uh, real dancers until uh, doing the little revival of West Side Story, and yeah. you talk about athletes. I mean, I've been around hockey players my whole life, but these dancers across the board were just just toned. And they're constantly working out, constantly exercising. In between songs, they're down on downstairs in the dressing room, on the floor, pushing each other, stretching. Wow. Uh, the, the the big guy in the cast, I'm talking to him about football or some such nonsense, and he grabs his ankle and just lifts his leg up. And I went, oh, my goodness. Maybe wow. maybe the best cheerleader in school could do that. But uh, So you're not taking dancing lessons? No. I, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Just did uh, singing in the rain, and they said, "Well, you know, you got to do this uh, dance step." And I went, "Okay, I'll just get in the back, and I'll, just, <laughs> I'll dance behind the desk." <laughs> so, what would you like to happen, like in the next year or so? Do you have a wish list? Do you have like a a little like, "Oh, I'd like this, I'd like that." Yeah, a, a little. Uh, of course, everybody wants to be like a little bit character. Uh, I used to joke, and as a matter of fact, when doing the plays in high school, that uh, I'm. I'm going to be the next Gabby Hayes. Do you know who Gabby Hayes? Oh, sure. <laughs> Gabby Hayes was immortalized in a Bugs Bunny cartoon once. Oh, wow. When I was at, in my teens, I would I would jokingly say, "Well, I'm going to be the next Gabby Hayes. I'm just going to kill time until that point." So uh, now I'm getting to that age where I could be the Gabby Hayes. But I mean, that that's the perfect role: just Cookie on the wagon train, or. Uh, <laughs> Or a mechanic in the... The lovable old sidekick guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not only the, the scope of my abilities, but also that's a, just a nice nice part. And I think uh, I think yeah. I can handle that. So you'd like that. When you go into an audition, yeah. do you have any idea how many other people are auditioning for any part that you're up for? Uh, I don't have the exact number, but more often than not, you see them sitting there right on the bench. Yeah, that's 10.05, that's 10.10, that's 10.15. That's 1020. And you have a certain look. So you get to see this pretty much the same guys uh, quite yeah. often. You know, hiya, Rick. Uh, hiya, Mike. Hiya, hiya Nick. Uh, you know, or, or some guy will walk in. Uh, we're doing this Western thing. So with the mustache and everything, I get called in a lot of Westerns. And this guy walks in, a friend of mine who is like 6'5". He's got a chiseled face. He, he looks like a uh like a norwegian uh god uh, his name is joe and I, he walked in and we all looked at each other and went no need for us to stick around fellas joe just walked in the hell is he gonna get the job so it's fun and it's a nice it's a nice brotherhood they'll they'll wish you uh you know, the best on the way out break a leg and so it's it's a nice fraternity for the most part the, the people are just really amazing and, and as you uh in in your side of the business and also anybody who's played on a team sport, uh, you build up a, such a, uh, a love for uh, your cast mates and or scene mates and or industry mates. And it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice way to go through life that you, uh, you're surrounded by people who you, who you want to be with rather than, and who want to be with you. I mean, yeah, it's the age old thing. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Yeah. Oh. And so, and so many of us, uh, go to jobs where people uh, j just don't care or uh, don't uh, respect you. And so it's, it's a nice, it's a nice society to belong to. 
And I think that you're really fortunate that you're getting to do something like this. And I think about people who are really miserable at what they do and they, they hate their jobs, they hate their coworkers, they're just, and, and you know, maybe they'd love to be doing anything like this. And what would you tell them? Boy, uh, well, you, you, you also need a pretty good uh, support group in terms of your family has to be willing to uh, go on the roller coaster so that when it's filet mignon, uh, you enjoy it. And then sometimes it's just peanut butter and pasta. So you have right. to, <laughs> you're here in the valleys. You have to really just step off the curb um, and go. There is a certain amount of good luck with it. You get the skill and the talent and the focus and the support and you put all those things together and then you go out and you network and you dot all the I's and do everything you can, but you are in some sense creating your own. Oh yeah, definitely. But then, you know, you walk into a voiceover audition and the guy goes, oh my God, you look like Mark Twain. (laughs) But if you hadn't gone to the audition, he wouldn't have known what you looked like. Exactly. I mean, it's, as you well know, in the old days, it was, if your cassette, your demo cassette was sitting on the counter and they say, you know, we need a, we need a female that doesn't sound like a teeny bopper and doesn't sound like an old bitty. Oh, I got one here. And they they pop in Cindy's uh, demo tape. They go, oh my God, she's perfect. So now are you lucky or were you that diligent voiceover person who put together a tape, mailed it out and followed up yeah. with phone calls? And- yeah. And I get, again, I think it's a little of both. And also if you're a jerk, then they're like, oh, well, she could do it, but we hate her. So. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Tell everybody just to keep going and, and have fun. And be you more know. like Lear. <laughs> <laughs>